0: My name is Suzanne Vogel, and I am the lead pastor here. And I want to welcome you if you're online. uh, We're so glad you're here with us. If you're in the room, it is a pleasure. We start our journey to Lent today. And as the bumper video that started our service reminded us, Lent is a season of reflection, it's a season where we start with Jesus, the journey towards the cross. And it's an opportunity in some ways for us to check our own hearts through that season to ask what are the things that keep me from receiving the grace of Jesus and we're going to use in this season Luke 22 and 23 uh, as Jesus journeys towards the cross because what we're going to see is over and over and over again people miss it people miss what God is doing they miss where God is going and It's an opportunity for us to be reminded of the things that keep us from missing what God is doing. So we're going to start this morning with the first uh, few verses of Luke 22. And we're going to explore the idea of unmet expectations. All right. Now, I have to confess that for the first probably 10 years of our marriage, we uh, had, my husband and I, an ongoing repetitious argument now, I'm sure those of you who are married have no idea what I'm talking about, right? You don't, This doesn't happen to you. Let me explain the, the nature of this particular argument. Uh, we would be uh, talking at the beginning of the day. At that time, I worked for a campus ministry, and, uh, and so we would talk about what our day included, and I would say, you know what, I've got to go to campus tonight. I've got a meeting from 6 to 8. And he would understandably and naturally mean, think that that meant I would be home at, what would you guess? 8, 8.15 maybe, right? Because we live like four blocks from campus. The trouble is, I am a generalist. So when I said I have a meeting from 6 to 8, what I really meant is I'm going to be on campus this evening. I have no idea what time I will be home. Anybody else like that? Because here's what would happen, right? The meeting gets over. And then I have six students I'm having conversations with, and then we've got to clean things up. And the truth is, probably by the time I get home, it's closer to 10. And by the time I walk in the door at 10 o'clock, what do you think is waiting for me? Frustration. Understandably so. Uh, And so, you know, we did this. We do rounds of this over and over again until I realized I am the problem. Not because I'm getting home at 10, but because I'm setting an unrealistic expectation. So guess what I do now? I say things like, you know what? I've got a meeting tonight. Earliest I'll be home is 10 o'clock. And then when I walk in the door at 930, guess what? I get met with, you're home. I have exceeded now expectations instead of not meeting expectations. I'm sure none of you can relate to this argument in your house. The truth is that unmet expectations are often the cause of our frustration. There's an author, Lisa Turkhurst, some of you will recognize her name. She talks about uh, gratitude, and I love this quote. She says, unrealistic expectations become unmet expectations. And unmet expectations are like kindling. It only takes a spark of frustration to set them ablaze and burn everybody involved. Can I get an amen in the house? So this morning, as we read Luke 22, verses 1 through 6, I want you to begin thinking about that idea of unmet expectations. So if you have a Bible, feel free to grab it. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. You'll notice when we're in the round, we have to find our screens, right? So we've got them here, here, here and here so read along with me if you would now the festival of unleavened bread which was also called passover was approaching the leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill jesus but they were afraid of the people's reaction then satan entered into judas iscariot who was one of the 12 disciples And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our passage opens with the Jewish people preparing for one of the most important religious holidays of the year. Actually, it was a combined holiday, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, this was an opportunity for the people of God to gather and celebrate God's faithfulness in leading them out of slavery and providing for them in the wilderness. And people would come from all over Israel and all over the uh, surrounding areas Jerusalem would be a crazy place. Think uh, New Year's Eve at Times Square, kind of crazy. And Jesus is popular with these crowds. And so the religious leaders have decided they are going to kill Jesus. But they have to figure out how to take him and arrest him quietly so that it doesn't end up with a riot and a mob on their hands. Now, that's where Judas enters the story. Now, Judas is not the most talked about character in the story of Jesus. We have four accounts of the story of Jesus Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and his story is not really prominent. So we only know a handful of things about him. First of all, we know that he is one of Jesus' inner circle, he was chosen as one of 12 people to travel with Jesus, and to be apprenticed by Jesus. This means that Judas, for three years, has had a front seat row. He's eaten dinner and breakfast with Jesus. He's seen Jesus' bedhead. He has walked and laughed and told jokes and seen all of the beautiful things that God is doing through Jesus. He's picked up the leftovers after Jesus fed 5,000 people plus. He panicked with the other disciples when they were in a storm on the lake. He saw the conflict with the Pharisees that was beginning to brew and coming to a head. He watched as Jesus chose to eat and drink with people who were not supposed to be eaten and drank with. He watched healings. He watched miracles. He was right next to Jesus. Now another thing that is really interesting to know about Judas, his name actually indicates probably where he was from. So Judas Iscariot, Iscariot is not necessarily his last name. It's like it says Judas from Des Moines. Iscariot was a reference to a town south of Jerusalem called Kerioth. Now, the reason that's important is that because it means that Judas was from a different place than all of the rest of the other disciples and Jesus were from. The rest of the disciples were from the area of Galilee. Jesus was from the area of Galilee. But Judas was from a place further south and further away. Which means that I imagine at times he felt other. He didn't recognize all the places where they were going at times, and he probably felt a little outside all of the Dutch bingo of the day. Some of you know what Dutch bingo is, and others of you are feeling outside at this moment. See, that's how it works. The third thing we know about Judas, for sure, is that he was the money keeper of the group. We know this from the Gospel of John. Now, Before you jump forward, some of you have been in church long enough, you know some other things about that, but let's just stay with the fact that he was the money keeper. How many of you would hand the most irresponsible person the checkbook? Probably not, right? So the fact that the group says, Judas, you are the money keeper, means that he was responsible and he was trusted and he was seen as trustworthy and probably good with money and numbers right so somewhere at least at the beginning of the journey people saw him as responsible however the other thing we know is that according to the johns account at some point we don't know when we don't know how but we know at some point the judas starts taking those contributions that come to jesus to help you know fund the ministry and he starts taking it a little bit off the top. He starts taking advantage of the fact that the money is in his possession. And in some way, starts to think perhaps some of that money ought to be his. And he grows accustomed to being able to take a little off the top. Now, I don't know about you, but Judas sounds a lot like me. I'm close enough to Jesus, I come here and I hang with you, and I am i get to see firsthand what God is doing, and yet at the same time, I've got flaws, I'm broken, things that, I, I don't steal money, by the way, just so we're clear. <laughs> that almost got me in trouble. Woo. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I got my stuff, right? And so do you. Let's be clear. We can be a mess of both desire to follow Jesus and getting up next to Jesus, and also have our areas of brokenness and sin. I suspect that you are more like G- Judas than you think. And I would guess that sometimes you come into this space and you feel like everybody else belongs here and you don't. We all probably are a lot like Judas. We also find out that at some point, for some reason, Judas decides to seek out the chief priests and the temple guards to see if he can help make sure that Jesus dies. That's a big jump. And here's the thing. We don't really know why he decides to do that. I mean, there's a ton of speculation around why Judas might have gotten to that point. For example... Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he felt like an outsider on the edge of things. Maybe he watched how Peter and James and John had that easy intimacy with Jesus, and he felt like he was not able to be in that inner circle. And maybe he longed for that kind of intimacy, but also resented that they have it, had it and he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he was disillusioned. Maybe he said yes to Jesus and to following Jesus, expecting a Messiah who would liberate them politically. Maybe he kept waiting for Jesus to storm Rome and take it by force. And instead, Jesus just kept talking about dying. And maybe he thought by colluding with the temple guard, he could sort of force Jesus' hand. I don't know. Maybe he was greedy. Maybe he got used to thinking that all of those funds, well, some of them were his. And he could see the writing on the wall because Jesus kept talking about giving money away and taking care of the poor. And maybe he gradually started to realize, well, my priorities and Jesus' priorities are not lining up the way I expected. maybe, maybe, He realized that he got tired of watching Jesus be in conflict with all the religious authorities. And he got tired of watching Jesus choose to have dinner with sinners and tax collectors when he'd been taught his whole life that that was wrong. I mean, I think it would be pretty easy to start second-guessing Jesus when the whole religious establishment is against him. And maybe Judas started thinking, wait a minute, what if, what if they're right? Jesus is wrong. I don't know. I don't know what took a man who was good and stood next to Jesus and led him to make a terrible decision. But if I put myself in Judas's shoes, I could imagine any or all of those reasons I could, would push me to an edge. I could imagine, and maybe you can, the reality that your life and your expectations of Jesus are not always aligned. Because here's the thing. Judas does, I mean, sorry, Luke tells us that at some point, Satan enters into that equation too. I don't know how that happens. I don't know what it looks like. But Satan is called in the scriptures the accuser of our souls and the father of lies. So I imagine he takes Judas's wonderings and frustrations, and then he starts whispering in Judas's ear. Who does Jesus think he is? You deserve better than that. What in the world, if it was if this was really God, wouldn't there be comfort and happiness? And riches, do you understand how that starts to happen? Satan comes and pours gas on the fire of Judas' frustration. Here's the thing. I don't know how or why all of that happened. I just know one thing for sure. By the time we get to Luke 22, verse 4, Judas is disappointed With Jesus. Because Jesus has not met his expectations and has let him down. And if you're honest today, you've probably been there too. You hoped your marriage would last forever, and then all of a sudden it's in ashes. Or you had dreams of personal success, and you were sure that God called you into this place only now you're stuck in a job that feels life-sucking and you are up to your eyeballs in debt. Or maybe you've watched other people and it seems like they have it all, you know, hashtag blessed. And they talk about hearing from God and seeing miracles and all you hear is silence. Or maybe you're grieving in an answer to prayer that never came. Or wrestling with a, con- a chronic illness or a relationship with a family member that is a complete and utter train wreck or you have questions about where God is when tyrannical leaders bomb cities or when tornadoes level towns. How has Jesus disappointed you? How has Jesus let you down? Now let's stop a second for a minute. Because for some of you who grew up in church, the fact that I just asked that question feels super wrong. See, a lot of us grew up in church hearing, well, we were taught that good Christians don't question God. Good qu- Christians always trust Always smile, always sing and never doubt. They never express disappointment or disillusionment. But I want to tell you the truth this morning. The truth is is that the only way that God will not disappoint you is if you are not human. Can anybody we say it again the only way that God will not disappoint you is if you are not human see God has this tricky way he says in the Old Testament my ways are not your ways which is a fancy way of saying I'm gonna do things you aren't gonna understand I'm gonna do things you don't understand see God's goal for my life and for your life is not my comfort or your comfort It's not my wealth or your wealth. It is not my power. God is interested in you and I becoming more like Jesus. God is interested in a world that is more just and more loving and looks a lot more like the kingdom. And frankly, that is always opposed to my small dreams. God is inviting us always to let go of our Small expectations for the sake of a larger picture. And so disappointment will always be part of our walk with God. Always. If you don't believe me, read the Psalms. Or better yet, read Paul. So we have a choice. We don't get to choose whether God disappoints us or not. Because our picture will always be countered what we do have a choice is we can decide what we will do with that disappointment. The first choice is we could deny it or try and push it down or we could foster it. The trouble is that won't make it go away. All that does is actually move us unconsciously away from God. It keeps our heart walled off and protected, and moving away like Judas did. The other option is we can get vulnerable, and we can get honest, and we can move towards God and stay in with each other. Just imagine for a moment with me. What if Judas had taken a different road? What if he had gone to Jesus and said simply, I don't get it. I don't get what you're doing. I don't understand. I want to, but I'm struggling. How would the story have changed? What if he'd gone to Peter and James and said, man, I blew it. I've been taking money I shouldn't have. I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. Will you guys hold me accountable and forgive me? How would the story have changed? To be clear, I think Jesus would have still been crucified. The religious system was going to do that no matter what. But Judas, Judas's story could have been different. I'm convinced that if Judas had brought his pain and his disappointment and his confusion and his frustration towards Jesus, grace would have welcomed him. The scripture promises when we confess and we come towards God meets us, and he would have met Judas. So on this first Sunday of Lent, a question hangs in the air. You've heard me ask it a couple times now. How has Jesus disappointed you? Where do you feel like Jesus has let you down? And then what will you do? With that disappointment? Will you let it drive you away from God and God's people? Or will you stay in and let others help you bear it and trust that Jesus at some point will meet you in it? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that even right now you would help us to own the ways that we feel disappointed. The ways that we had expectations that you did not meet. God, would you help us to name the ways that We're angry today, or we're sad today, or we're confused today, or we're jealous today. God, we recognize that your ways are not our ways. And I pray that in the quiet of this space, as we work to own that, your spirit would come and bring comfort, that we would feel the circle of other people who sit with us and hold our grief and our loss with us. As I close, I want to close with the words of a prayer from Douglas McClevey. O Christ, in whom the final fulfillment of all hope is held secure. What we so wanted has not come to pass. So let us remain tender now to how you would teach us. Our disappointments reveal so much about our own agenda for our lives and the ways we quietly demand it should play out. Free of conflict, free of pain, free of want. God, you are the king of our collapse. And you answer not what we demand, but what we do not even know how to ask. So not our dreams, oh God. Not our dreams, but yours be done.